Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show. And we have another fantastic agency leader with us this week after last year's show with the Burson Leadership Duo. But we've got uh, Marjorie Krauss as our special guest this week. Really delighted to have Marjorie on the show. She's founder and executive chairman of APCO Worldwide, and they are celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. So, Marjorie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. We'll get to chatting to you in a minute, but I want to introduce my co-host. It's Frank Washcook, who's our executive editor. Another busy week in PR land. Frank, did you Always enjoy is. the Super Bowl? Yeah, I did enjoy the Super Bowl. I know a lot of people uh, didn't love the on-the-field play this year, but I, I was a good close game, I thought. It was. It was exciting. It built up, didn't it, to yeah. a big finish. A lot and, of dramatic um, at the end. It was very dramatic. Lots Overtime for the second time. Um, and that provided even more opportunities for brands to spend millions of dollars on ads. So we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about all that and all the other uh, themes around it. Marjorie is calling in from Dubai, and she was watching it from Dubai uh, in German. So uh, we'll get Marjorie's take on that and uh, why that was. Um, so we'll chat about the Super Bowl. President Biden, he's joined TikTok, and he launched that uh, on Sunday night as well. We'll uh, assess how he did. White House communicators John Kirby and Corinne Jean-Pierre. We'll talk about the dynamic between them. Lyft, that was a bit of a snafu in their earnings, wasn't it? A typo that uh, caused all sorts of shenanigans. Um, a cautionary tale, I think, is the uh, right way to describe that. We'll talk about Columbia Sportswear and Weber. They've raided Edelman again for some more talent and some other people news. But uh, Marjorie, let's get uh, talking to you. 40 years. Wow. I know. I don't know where the time went. <laughs> I really don't. I, I saw you in Davos and you had a, a lovely dinner um, in the Ice House, famous sort of venue in Davos with uh, lots of people there to celebrate. So how did you feel that evening? And how, what are your reflections on the firm and uh, the firm you founded and how it's developed in those four decades? Well, you know, when I started, it was just me. Um, and that was so when I look back, it's hard to believe um, how much we've grown and and how much we've seen and done uh, because I didn't. It's not that I didn't have ambition to do that, but I never thought about size. I just thought about having enough people to do a good job. And that just kind of expanded over all. Um, it's, it's kind of the definition, I guess, of the 40 years. So when we did the dinner in Davos and I looked around and saw the people who wanted to come and celebrate with us and enjoyed it a lot. And we keep celebrating and I keep getting incredible messages from former employees, clients, uh, all kinds of people that um, also are celebrating along with us. Yeah, it seems it was a great night, actually. It was um, lots of lots of great people there to celebrate. And uh, including the trade secretary of the UAE, Dr. Tani, who, who popped in. And you're actually calling from Dubai. And you, it seems like to me like you're going stronger than ever. You've got lots of growth in the Middle East. Tell us a little bit about your work in those countries and how you're supporting events. There's a lot of events that go on that maybe people aren't quite as familiar as as they would be with, say, Davos or, you know, South by Southwest or whatever. Talk us through a little bit of that work. Yeah, I think uh, we started working over here about 15 years ago. 
And we probably now have um, probably about 400 people in the region. And we have offices in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, in Riyadh, uh, in Amman, Jordan, in Bahrain. And then we work across the region uh, from those offices. And what, what is happening in this region, if people haven't been over here, they really should take a look because there's a lot of, um, I'd say, really exciting uh, uses and applications for advanced technology. There are, um, you know, it's a very young population throughout the region. And so there's a lot of interest in how those people get trained and employed and um, and enthusiastic about supporting the continued growth and development. Um, Saudi Arabia is changing every time you go um, in terms of some of the rules of the road and um, opening up of society. And that opens up um, a lot of different uh, avenues for people. Um, I think that from, from my experience, government is pretty accessible. Uh, it's not what people think. And the role of women and women's entrepreneurship is going very strong. So um, I find it really exhilarating in a lot of ways to come watch uh, what's going on in the Gulf. And uh, not only in the Gulf, but we're also in Israel as well. So it's, it's been an interesting thing to watch, particularly as with the Abraham Accords and what it did to stimulate relationships and opportunities between, at least in that case, the UAE and Israel and, and Bahrain. And I'm sure that will continue once we can find a way out of the current um, situation. I, I, um, I think in terms of meetings, one of the ways in which these countries have introduced people to the countries is by hosting very uh, high-end premium events that bring lots of people together by sector. So we got involved a long time ago with Mazdar, which is the carbon neutral city outside of Abu Dhabi that was created, um, I guess it's close to 15 years now, to uh, celebrate alternative energy. And so there's a, a week that's uh, sustainability week that's been going on a long time. What I'm here for right now is the World Government Summit, um, which brings, they brought together 40 heads of state and all kinds of other people um, to talk about um, innovations that government can adopt or bring into countries around the world that help them grow and develop. And there's just a lot of energy behind uh, all these transformations. And I could go on beyond that. Yeah, no, I'd love to um, love to chat a bit more, especially about AI and your AI lab. But um, just before we go there, you know, Edelman gets a lot of criticism for working in Saudi Arabia and so does some other agencies. How do you reflect, you mentioned women's leadership, and obviously the role of women in, in society and some of the attitudes to LGBTQ people. There was the obvious the assassin, assassination of Jamal Khashoggi in, uh, by, by uh, a Saudi dissident journalist. Um, how do you reflect on that as a women leader? And, and when you say things are opening up and changing, is hopefully that's for the good and some of these attitudes are changing. To talk to us a little bit about that and how you square it away with, you know, obviously your principles as a, as a, as a female founder and uh, someone who believes in, you know, human rights and equality. Right. And, you know, as um, APCO is the largest majority women-owned firm in the world, uh, you know, in our space. Yeah. So 
I feel a special sense of responsibility and do a lot of other things to help women, especially women's entrepreneurship and uh, a lot of the issues of uh, equality and, um, and, and uh, ability to move ahead. So when we made the decision to go and when we first started to go, um, there was a lot of concern or pushback on the part of our teams. But I made a judgment that um, this was an opportunity to help uh, a country that was in the process of changing um, change. And if we um, don't allow people to move away from the past into things for the future, um, the, we'll never um, be the kind of world we all want to live in. So um, the, I was shocked uh, going to Saudi, not only on how well I was received, but on uh, it all started opening up for women. And now, I mean, a lot of our clients are really incredible women. Uh, many of them were Western trained. A lot of people have advanced degrees. Um, but the women have an energy uh, really unlike almost any other place I've been. And, um, and they're respected in, in, their, um, in their jobs. And I think that um, it's really important for people to understand how much change there's been and what the opportunities are. Some of these, and I'd say that for the whole region, um, that, that the role that women are playing is really substantial. Um, and as far yeah. as um, change in society and in, you know, in rules, I mean, no country is perfect, and I don't condone some of the things that have happened, but I do think that they're on a path that will be um, really important for the future of the world. They're innovating in a lot of ways um, with technology. There's, you know, the population is 70% or so under 30. Um, so if we don't find a good future and and the society doesn't open up and accommodate the the uh, aspirations of young people, then um, then we're all in trouble. So I give them a lot of credit for what they're doing. It's massive, massive change. Yeah, that's that's an incredible stat. Um, great to hear that things are changing for women. How how much progress is being made on LGBTQ rights? And would you consider it safe for someone to go over there? Uh, a gay man or, or and what, what would sort of reception would they get? I, th I think that all of this is a work in progress. I'm not sure even being in the U S right now that, um, that's, that's, that's a fair point that, you know, that, um, gay men yeah. and gay and women aren't worried about their rights for the future. Um, and so I don't know how many stones we should cast. But I do think, you know, I think it's a matter of also how one conducts themselves and um, and things will change over time. It just takes time, as we've seen in the U.S. Yeah, you talk a lot about innovation and you have an AI lab in Dubai and one of your uh, staffers, Abdullah Sayoun, is, was on our Dashboard 25 AI special list last week. Talk to us a little bit about that and, and how AI is developing both at APCO and, and how, how it might be put to work in terms of communications and PR, and in a country where so, there's so much innovation. Is that, are you seeing things there where you think right, they're a bit further ahead than some, maybe the US is in some parts of so, the uh, ecosphere? So over the last 40 years, um, I've kind of believed in some moonshots because APCO was never the biggest. So we tried to be one of the more innovative firms. And we brought in the internet in 1995 and we 
develop software for a while before there was available software. And, you know, even even going private when everybody else was being bought, we're kind of run against the grain at times. And it's been kind of a USP for the way we operate with our clients and try to think outside the box. So um, five years ago, when we realized that we're probably in for the next um, technical revolution, uh, we formed an AI lab, uh, even before all the gen AI and all of that, um, in Dubai. And we did it in Dubai because it's the only country that actually has a minister for AI. I mean, it's so important here that the ministry and has a really innovative leader and they're doing interesting things. And we just thought also um, with the level of restriction, everything else that experimenting here might be easier than, um, you know, to at least get um, get our feet on the ground. So based on Abdullah and the good work and other people that have been part of that, um, about two years ago, we started to organize around the globe to bring AI into more of what we do. And now what we've done is we've created um, our own internal system that that because, you know, generative AI, if you use ChatGPT or something, it's public. So anything you put on there, if it's, you know, it's client, you have client confidentiality issues and you really yeah. want to. We've created our own internal um, system um, using this, deploying um, all the benefits of AI for our clients to make us just not only more efficient, but to bring, I think, greater value um, and to greater efficiency for sure. And so um, I'm a little embarrassed to talk about this because what they decided user-friendly was to give it a name. Oh, yeah. And they named it Margie, which is my nickname. <laughs> and that was the staff's idea to uh, have me on every account now because we have, we put AI on, you know, there is this Margie on every account. Yeah, why not? So, why not? But, it, but, you know, I could give you examples of, of how it's really speeded up so much of what we do, and particularly in, in the things that are more routine and that you want to do so that people can do their value add to uh, collecting information um, and to really... And it frees frees them up to do more premium yes, exactly. value add work, yeah. And it, you know, and I think in our industry, um, I think people are much more interested right now in outcomes than output. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see the kind of current model of the way we bill and everything change, and be much more results oriented. And so I think the kind of people we have to deploy and the way we have to train them is going to have a lot to do with um, this value add. And so I think we have an opportunity to bring in and utilize AI in a way that allows us to um, take more of the routine services, make them more efficient, and spend the client's money doing in and uh, higher end execution. Yeah, sounds good. Publicist has got Marcel, Apco has got Margie. Sounds good. <laughs> um, you mentioned the different ownership structures uh, when you were talking there, and I'm interested with all your experience of, of different ownership over the years. What's which? What's the best? You know, what would you recommend for an agency founder um, in terms of uh, funding and structure, and maybe being independent versus being a holding company versus private equity, et cetera, because you've had the experience of all pretty much all of the different structures. 
I really thought it was important not only for our culture, but for our people to have some kind of ongoing ability to uh, create a future. And so I wanted to come up with something that would be sustainable for the future, would reward people who put in and help build the firm. And my steps along, we're not experimenting with other forms of financing. It's that as a woman doing this, there were limited uh, places I could go for financing. So I had to bootstrap along the way, some through partnerships, some through private equity. And then in 2004, I was able to consolidate ownership so that we'd be totally private and that we would uh, be able to provide uh, employee equity uh, for the future. So what we have today is a firm that um, is majority employee owned. We do have some investors, but they're a small minority. And then we are able to reward our people as part of their um, compensation. The more senior they get, the more they contribute to the firm. They also get compensated with equity. And I think that, okay. and so when I get ready to go, there'll be a whole team of people here that can continue into the future. And if I have to leave something on the table to do that, I'm fully prepared to do that, which I know I will have to. Yeah. That's not for everybody. Uh, I mean, that's, that works because that's the way I feel and I feel strongly about it. Um, other people may feel differently. Yeah, yeah. And that keeps people loyal to the firm and uh, gives them some, some stake in it and personal stake. Um, Finally, Marjorie, with, I remember being at Cannes a couple of years ago and Claudio Romo Edelman was doing a presentation about um, Hispanic leaders in, in the PR industry and she was interviewing Philip Krakowski actually on stage who is, uh, not many people realize, is, has Hispanic roots. Um, but you have Hisp Hispanic roots as well with uh, through your mother. So do you want to explain that to listeners who may not be aware of that? Yeah, I guess people... Um with a name like Krauss, which is actually my husband's name, yeah. um, that uh, people would never think of that. But uh, my mother um, came from uh, Poland to Cuba when she was just, a, she was really young, um, a little more than a toddler. And her siblings were all raised in Cuba and uh, born in Cuba. And they had a, a cafe in Havana, and which they kept until they couldn't. Um, but, you know, the Hispanic heritage on my mother's side of the family was really a strong part of my youth and growing up. And um, we all learned our kitchen Spanish in my grandmother's kitchen. And uh, it's been, you know, it's a joyous part of my memories growing up because uh, the Hispanic culture is very strong and fun and um, engaging. And uh, we hope to keep that going. Yeah, great, great stuff. Great to hear about that. And uh, congratulations on your 40th, Marjorie. It's uh, great to see the firm thriving and doing so well. And long may you continue and, uh, and APCO as well. Thank you. Great to chat to you. And we'll get to your input on some of our stories that we're going to uh, talk about now with Frank. Frank, Super Bowl, that was the big story of the weekend and before and afterwards, wasn't it? It was a real, seemed like a an even bigger deal this year than 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 ever. Well, it was. And that was reflected yeah, it, in the viewing numbers. And yeah, and if you look at the ratings, and they're up uh, more than 7% uh, from last year, and uh, more than 200 million people were watching the game at some point, and that's across television and streaming. Uh, so, so basically, two thirds of the country was watching one event at the same time, which is pretty remarkable. 
That is remarkable. Was it 200? I thought it was 123 million. Well, oh, 123 well, you million. Know, maybe, the, maybe the rest of them was uh, Taylor Swift watchers. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that also boosted the attendance because I know that a lot of uh, young women who uh, weren't previously so interested in the Super Bowl became interested. Yeah, so, there's been a massive bump in interest amongst women, yeah. hasn't there, in th- this season with her uh, dating Travis Kelsey. And Frank uh, Taylor was there. She got there from Japan, and we did a story she on, got there from on, Japan, uh, yes. on that as well, didn't it we? It was touch and go for a second. So let me just back up for a second. It was um, the, the average was 123 million, uh, which was up from last year, which was the previous record when the Chiefs played the Eagles in the last Super Bowl. Uh, but the companies that track this uh, estimated that more than 200 million people were watching the game at some point. Got it. Got so it. Uh, it's slightly different metrics, but but obviously both are big Massive numbers, numbers and record yeah. numbers. Um, yeah, so really interesting Super Bowl story here. So the big question before the game, of course, uh, was not who will win, but will make it to the Super Bowl on time? And she ended up uh, making it plenty early. Uh, she was there a day before, and it wasn't as touch-and-go as I, I think a lot of people thought it was. But it was a great opportunity um, for the uh, the Tokyo Embassy in Washington, D.C. to put out a statement about it, uh, the Japanese Embassy, excuse me. And uh, they got some help uh, from Ogilvy on it, and um, they put out a creative um, Taylor Swift-themed public statement on it. And it was, uh, I, think, I think it was a good move by them. It was funny. It was... It was a nice play. It was. It was. What did you think of the ads? Were there any that stood out for you? I have to tell you, I, w- I wasn't wildly impressed by the ads this year. Uh, I like the Michelob Ultra one with, with Messi. Maybe a different beer? No, Michelob Ultra. Okay, I'll be right back. I liked a few other ones. I really loads of celebrities, weren't there? I, Multiple celebs in yeah. this one ad, in the same ad. As somebody who has a, a bad uh, Christopher Walken impression himself, <laughs> okay. I thought that that Frank, one you're going to have to do it now, man. No, no, I don't Come want on. to. But give the listeners what they want. Well, I'll, maybe I'll just break it into one of the stories <laughs> and uh, <laughs> take you all by surprise. But that was good, and there were a few other. Uh, Come on, what brand was it though? That's, I don't remember. Is it BMW? It might have been. I think it was. See, that, it's funny because I remember the theme, but I don't remember the ad. Yeah. The product. So that maybe that shows it It didn't work. That was know. one where I thought, uh, oh, and they just put BMW on the end, right? And I thought that was, did that really work? Did they get their money's worth? You remember the ad, but there's no point if you, whereas there were some other fun Ads, well, like Timu, which was not a company I was remotely aware of, but I, yeah. I certainly looked it up on Google during the game. It was so Timu. This is a really interesting case, and and something that's been getting a lot of buzz out there is is another uh, an, another trade B two B magazine that covers uh, marketing and advertising ranked it as the there worst. There are others. Ads. There are others. Oh. Believe it or not, I didn't know. I'm, I mean, I'm not aware of any of them until they come up. But um, so it, they, they ranked it as the, the, the Timu ad as one of the worst, if not the worst ad during the whole thing. But, um, you know, according to stats we got the day after, it was one of the most buzzed about yeah. uh, brands during the exactly. Super Bowl. Uh, Just, and I, a lot of us who weren't aware of Timu before became aware I'm, of Timu. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's how do you measure advertising? Yeah. If, if you're uh, uh, all in New York with your you know friends in Brooklyn in the creative industries and you didn't like it, 
that's so what? You know, it's not necessarily aimed at that crowd, is it? It's aimed at people who want yeah, to do think, online shopping. Right. And, and I think to be fair to them, they were judging it based on creativity and yeah. not necessarily just getting the point across. So. True. Duolingo did the the five second ad, which uh, Reddit did last year, and they did it this year with with their little uh, um, icon um, duo. Yeah, and his I saw, I saw I caught it, and his yep. his butt, and his I believe butt. you call them in uh, so that one that one, and there was a couple of interesting religious ads as well. One with Mark Wahlberg in, and one about washing feet. Yeah. Um, and the Jesus He Gets Us campaigns yeah. have become more prominent over the past few years, too, across sporting events, not just the Super Bowl. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm not religious <clears throat> myself, but I certainly remember those. And, mm. um, yeah, so there, I, uh, lots of celebrities. I thought too many, actually. You, didn't, you don't have to have five celebrities in one ad. And it's worth remembering, people talk a lot about the 30-second yeah. ad is $7 million, don't they? Right. But then you've got to make the thing. You've got to pay for the celebs. You got to do all the production, and you got to pay your agency. And I was talking to a few experts, and they say you could pretty much double it in terms of the cost if you added all those elements in. Yeah. So it's a lot of money. You could imagine that very easily. I I think it's a there's no easy answer on on the celebrities, isn't it? Because you know when you see the most talked about ads list, uh, the ones with Arnold are always near the top yeah. too. Uh, so I I don't know. Well, you can't beat Arnold, can you? And it's he. Tough. Um, it kind of played into the heritage of the ads, didn't yeah. it? So it wasn't like uh, coming from ground zero, if you like. They had a lot, to, lot, lot of backstory to play with there. And it's worth remembering as well, in terms of the PR, I blogged about this. In terms of PR firms, they're doing all sorts of, of activations stuff. before the Super Bowl for brands that might not even be advertising, you know, on the ground stuff. Yeah. I talked about a few of them. There were loads of PR firms, PR pros there, brands activating and uh, it's, it's easy to forget that, but that's that's a big part of what they do. And then when you've spent all that money, you want to make it last. So the uh, the the, um, God, the Boston one, the Dunkings spot. I think they they released a longer version, and then they, uh, they've Stiller, released various and Ben Stiller's actually various released creative that song, elements afterwards. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot. They're still. I, I, they have been putting out more and more for the past three days. Yeah. Um, so using social, using YouTube, using content. And so. it's easy to forget with everything going on that, you know, Super Bowl media day is the Monday before. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a obviously a very heavy media relations element to that. And there are all kinds of events going on throughout the week. And I think especially in a place like Las Vegas, you're probably going to get people staying for more than a couple of days. That is a good point. Some people say they should hold it there every year. And they have that big structure, didn't they? which was selling ads for a couple of mil, the Sphere. Yeah. So that was a new thing. Um, Marjorie, you uh, watched it in Dubai, so I don't think you could see the ads, but you watched it in German. No, unfortunately, I couldn't see the ads because they don't show them when they put them on foreign television. But I was going to say the numbers of people who watch probably don't account for all these other more bootlegged yeah. places to watch them. So I watched it. On German television, which was the only station here that carried it. And uh, so I got to watch the game in German in the middle of the night. Yeah. But I did miss the ads. Interesting. Uh, you're right. The global audience is massive. In the UK, it became a big thing. The game wouldn't start till about 11 p.m. local time. So you'd have a party that lasted well into the night on Monday morning. No, my game started 3.30 a.m. Right. Yeah. So yours was even later. 
And um, yeah. yeah, it's because sports is is a part of the revolution over there, isn't it? And I know that Jordan actually won the Asia Soccer Championships on Sunday, um, so, and they hosted it as well. Yeah, well, as I was flipping channels to find a game, the game, um, I found at least uh, five, six, seven stations that were carrying um, soccer. Yeah. Yeah, probably Jordan was one of them, and they and Qatar hosted the World Cup, of course. So, uh, and Messi is enormous out there, isn't he? And they've got uh, lots of sports in uh, Saudi, such as motor racing, Formula One, boxing, WWE. It's uh, so lots of things developing out. Golf, yeah, yeah, the live tour. So, yeah, there's uh, sports is massive. The Super Bowl is massive. Taylor Swift is the influencer, basically. And actually, it's interesting, Frank, that. Um, because of the celebs, you didn't really notice the influencers so much, did you? The social media influencers. There were a couple of them in the ads. Yeah, there were, not, and, not, and they there got were also out a bit, didn't they? There were also a few that were were there in person who, um, interestingly, all seemed to win big on on various betting platforms, uh, which a lot of people noticed. But you know, they were there. The Super Bowl. It, it's so hard to get over. Just like you know, like you know. It, what Beyonce did, for instance, mm. where she's there, she's yeah. not doing the halftime show, but she released music tied to sitting next to a commercial. Jack that, Dorsey. Yeah, but, but she was also there, you know, and yeah. her whole family was there. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's, it's hard to get bigger than that. It is. It's a big deal. And there was uh, Ice Spice. What's an influencer? What's a creator? You know, Ice Spice is a musician, but she's also a massive influencer. Well, that's too, a great right? question, isn't it? Who's a celebrity and, and yeah. who's a, an entertainer and who's a, a creator slash influencer? And she's an FOT, a friend of Taylor. So, yeah, interesting <laughs> stuff. Just to end up, Frank, what did you think of Travis Kelsey and pushing the coach there, Andy Reid? That's just not done, is it? No, it's not done. And and in a in a in another circumstance, I you would expect the player to get suspended for three or four games yeah. for doing that. But uh, remains to be seen if they will, and I don't expect them to. That would have put a down on it, all, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, I think Andy Reid already said that um, he forgives Travis for his passion. Yeah. Um, and but yes, I thought that was really terrible. It's a, a bad example for all those people that are watching yeah. and that think of him as some kind of an icon right now. Yeah, exactly. Cause kids ape their heroes, don't they? And, uh, so I thought that was a, a, one, a, one of the few down points, mm -hmm. but it was a great, it was great. I, you know, I, um, by the way, the, uh, who won the game, Frank? I'm kidding. Uh, the Chiefs won the game uh, in overtime. 25 After San Francisco inexplicably didn't go for it on fourth down, which they probably should have. Well, they said they didn't know the rules, didn't they? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. There's whenever a team loses a big game in overtime, there's always speculation yeah. about this, and I don't buy 100. percent Mahomes showed his class in the yeah. end. So yeah, and one thing that also happened on Sunday, I believe, sort of to coincide with it, President Biden didn't do his usual didn't do the interview that the president is always offered, yeah. which is a soft interview and really quite strange to turn that down for a second year running. I could see him turning it down last year because it was with Fox, but this year it would have been with CBS. But he's joined TikTok. Uh, what did you think, Frank? He's on TikTok. Uh, as of early this week, the video, uh, I guess the Biden debut video on TikTok had more than 5 million uh, views in which he answered a few uh, buzzy questions like Jason Kelsey or Travis Kelsey. Um, you know, it's a it's a really tricky play for them, right? Because um, opposition to TikTok it was a, a bipartisan issue. Uh, 
uh, over the yeah. past few years, or at least um, skepticism about TikTok and what it does with American data, uh, was a bipartisan issue. At the same time, um, you know, he has some issues with with um, with Gen Z voters, and this is a place to reach them, and this is a place where they're getting their news. So I can see the rationale for his campaign, even you know, the White House having an account on there. Uh, at the same time, I think turning down, um, turning down the, the interview before the Super Bowl I, is, is really a bad move by them. And I think it's, uh, Just an easy one way or, you know, win or lose, it's going to be something that is, is postmortem, yeah. postmortem because it's, it's, uh, especially after the bad week he had last week with all this, all the, um, mm. questions about, uh, his mental state. This could have been a way to put them at rest a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And his social media team's getting a lot of plaudits, isn't it, for the way they've handled it and uh, the evil Biden sort of image. Dark Brandon. Dark Brandon leaning into it and kind of being quite funny. So I I actually thought that was an excellent move by them. Um, And that, um, you know, some of the conspiracy theories about the Super Bowl being rigged or, you know, uh, Taylor Swift being a CIA plant or whatever, you know, they're, they're so ridiculous. I think in some ways the best way to deal with them is to ridicule them. Yeah. And so I, I thought that was a smart play, but I think especially, you know, some of the times where, where Biden is quite good is in these one-on-one interviews, uh, that are, that are pre-recorded. And, and I just think they missed a big opportunity to, to get him out there in a good way. Yeah. Very strange. You know, the only the only thing I would say about that is, you know, I I think the TikTok thing was great. I don't think anybody thought about the China angle. There, that was purely a play to to show up differently in front of a young audience, which he's desperate to attract. I, I happen to think it was clever, but the um, you know, I think part of the and this isn't an excuse for last year, but. I think you might have felt with everything going on uh, in the world and and how serious everything is that maybe this was not the right time to do some of an interview before the Super Bowl when all the attention's really on the Super Bowl anyway. And um, so I'm not sure that that was such a bad call. Yeah. How do you, I mean, he he is having problems getting his message over isn't he and you know with the best will in the world he's he's a, uh, an 80 year old man and he does have certain problems sometimes with his memory and all, all that sort of stuff what would you do if you were advising him in terms of strategy as we lead up to the election and he's got an incredibly aggressive opponent who's not afraid to put it out there what would you what would you be saying to his team as they as they plot the next few months i think he has to lean into it and be out there and, you know, as far as the gaffes go, have you followed Biden over the years? I mean, it's not, <laughs> this isn't, this isn't so new. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand. And I think um, it's unfortunate um, that that's what we're all focused on, given what accomplished. But I, I, um, I think he has to get out there and lean into it. And um, he does best when he's emotionally energized by the issues and by what's going on. And he's, he's a passionate guy and he needs to show it more because it looks like, you know, at times that he's, um, you know, that he doesn't have the energy to, to keep this, to keep, keep going. And I don't think anybody should have made what it takes to do that job either. When people say he looks old, I don't know a president that served 
that doesn't look a lot older when he finishes than when he started. And when you start later in life, I can identify with this because we're not that different in age. But um, yeah, you know, President Obama to- was gray, wasn't he, when he finished and his eight yeah. years and he was uh, much very youthful when he first started. That's very true. I, I would also just add to that. I mean, I, I look at you. Know, we, we've been critical of some of the Biden strategy on this this podcast, but I think it's important to remember with him that this is this is a person who who literally has been underestimated in everything he's done in his his entire adult life and his entire career. You know, from the first time he ran for Senate. So I mean, this is so the polling might be bad, but this might not be a, a position that he's you know not completely uncomfortable with. You know, he might. Is relishes chances more than people think. That's yeah, so, a marathon, you know. not a sprint. Yeah, and uh, back, way back in the day, he was one of the youngest politicians, wasn't he? Yes. So uh, in his late, oh yeah, 20s. he was barely thirty when he got sworn in in the Senate. That's right. That's right. And you know, he he barely qualified yeah. to be, be a senator. Yeah. You know, in terms of his birthday. David yeah, I, I also just going back to what Frank said. You know, I believe that you should never underestimate the power of being underestimated. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And um, some people were saying that they wanted Taylor Swift to come out in favor of Biden. But actually, um, if she just said to her followers, I want you to go vote and just didn't say, what you know, for which uh, candidate, I think that would be even more powerful, right? Well, yeah. So there's do you a- know that in her concerts, she actually does that? Yeah. Um, she has, she... The, the I, I have nine grandchildren, so I have a few that have been Swifties that have been. And, you know, the, the comments in between her songs are all about um, things like the importance of being involved or um, how important it is to be tolerant and to yeah. not, not uh, you know, it's about hate speech and things like that. Really powerful messages for these young people. So I give her a lot of credit for um, for that. Absolutely. And I do think it's better not to be partisan about it uh, because I think it might be misconstrued. But I think there's no doubt how she feels. No. Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's great messaging. And uh, she doesn't need to come out for a particular candidate just to get people. If young people vote, Biden will win. So, you know. If uh, if that's the direction you want the country to go in, then that's uh, that would be good. Um, Frank, just to finish off quickly, yeah. the White House comms, John Kirby and Kate, Karine Jean-Pierre, is there some tension between them? And, and just explain who those two individuals are for our listeners who may there's, not know. There's no public tension between the two of them, but there is, uh, look, there's a lot of speculation about how this is working. And this is, um, of course, we're talking about the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, and John Kirby, uh, who was recently promoted uh, to a somewhat equivalent but not really spokesperson role um, within the White House. Now, he's not the press secretary, but he is also an assistant to the president, just like John Pierre is, uh, which is the highest level of a staff title. Used to be the Pentagon press. Yes, secretary. and he's a retired admiral. Um, and I think this is more reflective of anything of how much you know messaging they've had to do about foreign affairs and about conflicts, uh, whether it's Ukraine or the situation in the Middle East. Um I actually, look, there's a lot of, this is a lot of um, 
you know, kind of classic Washington, D.C. parlor game stuff. You know, do they get along? Is it a rivalry? You know, what is it? Um, and a lot of it has to do with the historic nature of Jean-Pierre being the, the first openly gay person to hold the job and the first black woman to hold the job and, and whether it's appropriate for what's seen as him upstaging her uh, at some points. Um, you know, I, I think they both have very different expertises in terms of the things that they are you know, very effective in talking about. I think John Kirby is very effective in talking about foreign affairs in Russia and Ukraine um, and things like that. And if the two of them work together well, I don't see it as a huge problem like other people do. I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's unusual, certainly, but uh, if they believe it is working, then I don't see a reason not to stick with it. Yeah, yeah. Very so. true. All right, let's talk about this Lyft earnings snafu. This was a sort of PR person's nightmare, especially yeah, an really investor was. relations person. Wasn't oh it? man! So, um, long story short, there was a typo um, in the earnings report by Lyft, and a really bad one, which is an extra zero. And you know, those extra zeros can <laughs> they just, make a difference. Yeah, can make a big difference. Can make a big difference. Yeah, <laughs> and so a, a press release initially said that Lyft, the ride-hailing service, was forecasting a 500 basis point or 5% expansion of its adjusted earnings margin for 2024. But, um, and that is, when it comes to Lyft, a very, very closely watched uh, figure. That, you know, it's like same store sales with a fast food joint mm -hmm. uh, or something like that. And uh, the correct figure was actually supposed to be 50 or 0.5%. So the stock shot up um, when the earnings release was put out, but before the earnings call. Uh, and then the company's CFO had to correct the problem during the earnings call. Uh, and, um, you know, the stock went from shooting up really high to coming back to earth. And what's really funny about this is, well, it's not, I shouldn't say funny because it's not, <laughs> certainly not funny to the IR people at Lyft. But what's interesting about this is Lyft actually had quite a good quarter uh, and they beat analyst estimates on the top and bottom line. And, and so um, maybe, you know, that, that, that spike and then that correction are going to come out in the wash. But, uh, you know, Lyft actually did have a quarter worth talking about, just not to the extent not of that extra good. zero. Yeah. <laughs> Marjorie, can you remember, uh, that's a horrible, you can just imagine being in the shoes of the person there. Can you remember anything like that happening in your, you know, 40 years where you thought, oh my, oh my God, you know, I mean, look, mistakes happen. We talk about proofreading and copywriting and all the rest of it, but sometimes things just happen, don't they, and they get through. Yeah, I just, I guess I, I don't think of anything like that. I mean, you could say um, it's a look into the future for them. It's an aspiration. Yeah. They'll know what happens <laughs> yeah. if they ever get there. Um, there are things that happen that are, um, you know, there have been cases in the past where, um it's, it's been more on the fraud side than an, an accident, but, you know, whether things get put out that people react to and invest differently than they might have. If anybody bought stock and sold, you know, I don't know if money made on that and that would be, you know, probably a lot more harm than uh, a, a mistake, but that that's the basic um to be competent, I guess yeah, you'd say, right. is that check your numbers because they have consequences. Yeah, when you put things out there, it has consequences. Yep, 
very true. And when we get the robots doing it, as they are for some earnings stories, um, that needs checking as well. Frank, we're running running a bit long. So Columbia Sportswear, why, why are they in the news? This is a this is a really cool story, and I'm glad that uh, we could write about this because um, sometimes there are opportunities that pop up for uh, brands to get themselves in the news cycle that not everybody would associate with the brand. And this one is uh, Columbia Sportswear. Um, and they have a role in the first U.S. lunar landing uh, in 50 years. So they, they have partnered with a company called Intuitive Machines, uh, which is is working to make the first U.S. return to the lunar surface in 50 years. It's about commercialization uh, and establishing a, you know, a permanent presence there. And um, the lunar lander that is going to be used by intuitive machines is insulated with a product uh, from Columbia Sportswear called OmniHeat Infinity, uh, which they have in their jackets and other stuff. Um, and so it's being used in space because on the moon, you know, the temperature can be from like minus 250 to 250. And it's, you know, it's it, um, massive range. Yeah, yeah. So they need something to deal with this. And this these interiors are very helpful. So, um, you know, Columbia, which is known for, you know, footwear and outdoor stuff, uh, you know, really kind of gets to put its brand in a way on this lunar mission. Uh, and so this enables them to, you know, not just reach the morning shows and other areas where this is going to be covered, um, but also the very techie media outlets, scientific outlets, things of that nature, where they yeah. might not have an audience. And I think I think it's a cool get for them uh, and good for them on this and good for them for, for you know, working to make something of it. Yep, check the story out on prweb.com. Yep. Web has raided Edelman for another executive, and then there's some other people news as well. Yes, absolutely. So let me just uh, go around the horn here in terms of uh, all of the people moves that are out there. But Weber Shanwick has appointed Will Crane and Contessa Kellogg-Winters uh, to the corporate affairs leadership team. Crane is going to be uh, head of CEO communication advisory and Kellogg-Winters uh, will be the head of executive visibility. Axel Springer, the media company, has named Nick Basilio as head of U.S. communications. He comes into the company as the uh, German-owned media company uh, is doing more work in the U.S. Yeah, um, owns Politico. Yes, XL Energy has appointed Rob Clark as their chief communications officer. He is a veteran of ExxonMobil. Uh, and Medtronic, and uh, one of the original co-founders of the agency, Quitkin, now KWT Global, Jason Schlossberg, uh, has launched the creative agency Ready Made Company. All right, lots of uh, moves as usual. Marjorie, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to chat to you and uh, continued um, good fortune with the business, which sounds like it's absolutely booming. So really good to hear about that. Thank you. Appreciated the opportunity. Yep. And uh, don't forget the agency business reports open for submissions. So make sure you've got your form submitted to that. We've got the big PR Week US, US Awards, the 25th anniversary gala. And it's on uh, March 14th in New York City. Be there or be square. The Oscars of PR. Crisis Comms Conference is on the 18th of April in DC. That's going to be great. Our Global Awards in London on May 15th. And Healthcare Awards and Conference in New York on the 21st of May. And finally, Women of Distinction in New York on the 30th of May. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. <laughs>